The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Beloved, we welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership in our midst. And as the spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. On this Alumni Weekend Sunday, we remember the words of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combine, truth and love for all to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand now in the praise of God.
we pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved Christopher Lash, some years ago, once summarized well a part of Reinhold Niebuhr's thought about confession and pardon. The only way to break the endless cycle of injustice, he wrote, is through nonviolent coercion with its spiritual discipline against resentment. In order to undermine an oppressor's claims to moral superiority, one has to avoid such claims on their own behalf. As the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, let us bow our spiritual heads, fold our spiritual hands, purse our spiritual lips, quiet our spiritual centers, and acknowledge our own waywardness in order that we may acquire a spiritual discipline against resentment. Let us pray. Hear the good news, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 21 to 30. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 105 with the antiphon. to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold, and there was no one among their tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for its red of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quails and gave them food from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. He gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the wealth of the peoples, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Glory Glory to you, Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Our sermon today remembers Dean Robert Hamill and reflects upon the Matthean Gospel of divine generosity. The latter ennobled the former and the former exuded the latter. Robert Hamill served in his last ministerial appointment as the Dean of Marsh Chapel, Boston University from 1965 until his death in 1975. During his tenure here, the university and the country were convulsed in the throes of struggles over civil rights, over race relations, over war and opposition to war, and over the authority of those governing and the responsibility of those governed. He was third in the line of six deans here, alongside a number of others who served in interim capacities. He was a Methodist minister, he was a preacher, he was a teacher, and his first name was Robert. In short, he was fully qualified for the position. Dr. Hamill came here following a long and distinguished ministry in the Midwest, including work on campuses and in college communities. He wrote regularly for Motive magazine. He helped Howard Thurman in the last years of Thurman's ministry here without much recognition in that era. He had the task of following an iconic figure, filling big shoes and carrying forward the work of Marsh Chapel in a turbulent time. He died of cancer on the job. Meanwhile, now, in Matthew 20, back in the vineyard, our parable represents the undifferentiated rewards of the kingdom of God. The parable affirms divine generosity, inscrutable divine 
generosity. Its point, behold the divine generosity, do not begrudge it. Consider the parable found only in Matthew. All the workers are paid the same as in life, so here in scripture there is no sure, consistent justice. To be sure, the landowner has paid what he agreed to pay. To be sure, hour by hour, the workers have received what they agreed to receive. To be sure, the daily needs of all for the day to come are met, from each according to his stamina and to each according to his need. To be sure, the added proverb about last becoming first and first last fits the parable awkwardly, if at all. The parable acclaims God's bounteous generosity, not God's impartial justice. When a job truly fit and meant for you goes to another on a shaky or unjust premise or process, you know the feeling of the early workers. When an illness, unearned and unexpected, afflicts your loved one, you know the feeling of those working among the grapes and feeling the grapes of wrath. When a day begins and ends as an existential illustration of Shakespeare's 66th sonnet, you know the resentment addressed in the story from Matthew chapter 20. On Alumni Weekend each year, we have remembered one of our forebears, like Franklin Littell or Daniel Marsh or Alan Knight Chalmers or Howard Thurman and others. This year, Dean Hamill. Hamill's time in this vineyard of ours was long and difficult. His years in this pulpit were long and hard years. He did not come into his labor at evening or even at noon, but early in the day, and did not find his rest until he found his eternal rest at day's end. He worked here in the time my friend yesterday, a visiting alumnus, referred to as the time of the Troubles. Unlike his predecessor, Howard Thurman, he did not enjoy quite as wide a range of recognition, nor quite as strong a national following, nor just as steady a range of response to his pulpit work. Unlike those who had worked here in the 50s, a time of relative peace and prosperity, his era, 1965 to 75, was fraught with conflict, anxiety, discord, and strife. The Christmas Sunday, December 24, 1974 sermon in his last year whose recording was found and heard earlier this week, decries the war in Vietnam and a bombing campaign in progress. A 1970 sermon on racial justice and black power preached some years earlier became required reading for work in racial justice on campuses in the South and across the country. An earlier book of sermons on the theme of freedom exhibits clearly the clouds gathering all about of constraint. In other words, Robert Hamill lived within the rhythms of some comparative difficulty and injustice. On more than one occasion, you could perhaps surmise, he might have paused to wonder aloud crossing Commonwealth Avenue about the justice of it all, the unequal distribution of generosity, the unfairness of circumstance, the pain and pained crucible of disappointment. He did not live anywhere near long enough to see that particular war fully ended, to see the gradual amelioration of some racial injustice, to see the still expanding circle of his great and beloved theme of freedom. He got to work before dawn, labored through the noon and the noonday heat, went to eternal sleep after dusk, with no retirement to enjoy, 
no decades of cruises and tours, no relaxed season to hold the grandchildren, no sunset years. In October of 1970, early on a Sunday morning, 200 federal marshals, Boston police, and FBI agents entered the chapel in which you are sitting, right here, and arrested an AWOL Army private whom the chapel congregation had given sanctuary. Students keeping vigil in the nave were awakened and cleared from the aisle, and Reverend Hamill later led a Sunday service of worship right here, broadcast on WBUR. The fissures and fractures that were fragmenting the country as a whole epitomized May 4, 1970 at Kent State were visible and tangible right here. One can imagine that Hamill and his wife may well have wished that the timing of their ministry here had been other than it was. Yet when Dita, whom I knew, Hamill's second wife, whom he married after the death of his first wife, Hannah, herself died two years ago, a mutual friend brought us the guest book used in those years in the Hamill residence. What is striking is that for all the turmoil of the times, worship continued here on Sunday mornings. The Hamels regularly offered hospitality over a traditional Sunday dinner following in their home. The book contains the personal signatures of their guests over the months and years after church on Sunday. James and Eunice Matthews, Robert and Pat Nelson, Walter and Martha Mulder, Robert Luckhock, Max and Betty Miller, Merle Jordan, F. Thomas Trotter, Howard and Sue Bailey Thurman, Ruth and Paul Dietz, Earl Kent Brown, Joe Bassett, Edward Carroll, Marjorie Metcalf, Harold Beck, Peter Bertucci, Joe Pollock, Catherine Silber, John Silber, Lamona Petrov, and many, many, many others. The work in the vineyard continued in season and out. Let us return for a moment to Matthew. Meanwhile, back in the vineyard, the undeniable difference between equality and justice faces us as it did Jesus, Matthew, the rabbis, and others. Jesus loving the Amha'aretz, the poor of the land, may have been telling the Pharisees to broaden their perspective and embrace. Matthew, much later, among Jews and Gentiles, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, may have been admonishing the former to honor the latter. The rabbis in the same period used the same story, but added that the later workers did in two hours what it took the earlier ones all day to do, so they squared the circle of justice and equality. Our landowner, through Matthew's rendering, is called oikodespotus, a person of some power. The allegory is clear. God is obliged to no one. The timing of God's grace and generosity is God's own affair, only without prejudice either to the early or to the late. In this way, Matthew concurs with Paul in 1 Thessalonians that the living will not precede the dead in the hour which is every hour of judgment. Our parable does not rely on the famous passage from Exodus 16 read a moment ago, but this is a passage we need to know and know about. It is the manna from heaven, the symbol of the divine generosity. The acclamation of divine generosity in both is the same, Matthew 20 and Exodus 16. Evening comes and morning, and in the morning there is a sweet hoarfrost covering all the ground, 
a layer of dew under which is manna from heaven, the bread the Lord has given you to eat. The steadiness, the weekly seasonal consistency in Robert Hamill's hospitality at table, Sunday by Sunday, continued throughout his, their years here. Some here will remember that no graduation service was held at Boston University in 1970. Here in Marsh Chapel in May 2010, four years ago, we gathered for a service of remembrance before some of those received their diplomas, finally, 40 years later, the next day. The chapel was packed. The chapel was hot. The chapel was tense. The volunteer pianist played, where have all the flowers gone? Let it be, we shall overcome. Midway into the proceedings, a spirited woman stood up and interrupted the dean's remarks. From the back pew, she began to preach her own sermon. Somehow it did seem to fit the time and the class and the occasion. After from the front, I told her I could not hear her, but I'd like to go on with what I was saying. She paused and off we went. James Carroll, now a married columnist, but in 1970 the Catholic priest at Boston University, offered that evening a powerful pastoral meditation, remembering Hamill and the armory and the day and the war, and concluding as he asked, let me ask you, what are we doing here tonight in 2010? Have we not come in order to face and thereby to let go of a part of a troubled time long ago? The recording of Hamill's 1974 Christmas Sunday sermon includes his admonition to those listening to join him in rising on Christmas Day before presents, fellowship, and turkey dinner, and all else, and sending a letter to the White House demanding an end to war and a time of peace. His voice is raspy, but his challenge is clear just months from his death. In his sermon book, How Free Are You?, he noted, when you get into the fight for freedom, you encounter trouble for sure. One of the notable preachers of our time who consistently fought for free people in a free society was Dr. Ernest Fremont Tittle. One day I asked Tittle how he handled controversial material and he gave three rules of thumb. Be sure of your facts, speak the truth in love, and be unafraid of the consequences. Hamill may have been thinking of Tittle coming toward his own last Christmas day. Meanwhile, back in the vineyard, we have again to ponder the labor at the heart of life and the labor at the heart of faith. Faith comes by hearing, but it is an active, employed listening that allows for that hearing. Faith is a gift, but it is a gift like any other that requires receipt, response, embrace, and a thank you note, too. If faith comes by hearing, it will help if we are in earshot. We truly have nothing better to do come Sunday than an hour of worship together. Faith comes as a gift at the time of God's choosing, but to labor and live in faith requires of us a steady, even fruitful practice of faith. Here is what Paul is driving at in his letter to the Philippians. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. You may have been impressed this week by Ken's, Ken Burns' ever-engaging latest documentary on the Roosevelts, Theodore and Franklin and Eleanor. 
Eleanor, as an orphan, was raised by drunken uncles and others in the small Hudson River village of Tivoli, a little town where my grandparents met and where my grandfather is now buried. It happens, I learned this week, that a great aunt, Ella Lasher Coons, my mother's aunt, with some others in Tivoli, sewed Eleanor's wedding dress so long ago. But we are, neither in space nor time, all that far from Tivoli or from the New Deal. All three of these iconic American leaders suffered. Theodore in childhood illness and adult defeat, Eleanor in childhood loneliness and adult betrayal, and Franklin, so famously, in polio. Whether they would have taken Paul's formula as theirs, he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ but of suffering for him as well, one cannot say. There certainly is no justice to any suffering as such, and certainly not to theirs, intimately and poignantly depicted in Burns' fine program. Yet there is something underneath the grumbling of the workers, the hiddenness of the landowner, the various and capricious deposits of weal and woe in the Matthean parable, in the Roosevelt lives, and more to the point, in our very own. Call it a different light a refraction out of a different lens of the divine generosity and what happens when someone seizes or is seized by that glorious, mysterious, divine radiance, divine goodness, divine generosity. There is a scene in Burns' film in which the camera shows polio-afflicted children swimming in the Warm Springs, Florida pool. That is the pool that finally allowed Franklin, buoyed and warmed in its water, to stand after months and years of utter torment. The camera scans the children, playing, swimming, dunking, laughing. Then the camera closes in on the biggest of the children, a six-foot-tall future president who is right there, soaked and joyful in the midst of them was unmistakable, even at this distance of years and miles and technology, to see the gleam and the glint in his eye. The divine generosity was splashing through him and out onto all the similarly afflicted children round about. Something happened to him in all the injustice, unfairness, and inscrutability of his hours in the existential vineyard. Something happened that made a difference to the poor of the Depression, to the nearly conquered in Europe and Asia, to the women, people of color, and otherwise abled whom Eleanor prodded him, cajoled him, and implored him to aid. He found a part of himself able to help, really help, others similarly afflicted. And somehow that part, once raised to life, opened his life to all the rest. I wonder about you and me. Has the unfailing light and love of divine generosity worked on us at all this past week? Are we better people than we were last Sunday? John Calvin, for once, on this parable. We may also gather that our whole life is useless and we are justly condemned of laziness until we frame our life to the command and calling of God. 
From this it follows that they labor in vain who thoughtlessly take up this or that kind of life and do not wait for God's calling. Finally, we may also infer from Christ's parable that only they are pleasing to God who work for the advantage of their brethren. I think back, or try to think back, 50 years, a flick of the wrist, a batting of the eye, no time at all. And here is Robert Hamill walking toward us in memory this alumni weekend, 2014. He knew the labor in the vineyard, yet Sunday dinner he offered week by week. He knew the unheralded service and ministry during a time of tumult, a time of trouble. Yet Sunday dinner was regularly served. He knew the unwelcome unfairness of the difficulty on his watch, the intractable conflicts therein, the lack of resolution thereof, and to top it off, early death at an early age. Yet Sunday dinner's hospitality, the Hamill's form of faithfulness, never lagged and never flagged. Around that table come Sunday with china, linen, silver, and meal. One feels there was, amid all the pain of the troubles, a refraction of glory, a reflection of the divine generosity. Somehow, knowing Robert Hamill's labor in the vineyard, somehow, I think, I think I, and I expect we, and find the energy and courage generously to live, so generously to live, as well. Amen.
Dearly beloved, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to either remain standing, be seated, kneel in the pew, or kneel at the altar rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. This morning we pray in solidarity with those gathering in New York City for the People's Climate March, including our very own Jessica Chica, Chapel Associate for Lutheran Ministry. We pray in the words of Walter Rauschenbusch and his prayer for nature. O oh God, we thank you for this universe, our home, and for its vastness and richness, the exuberance of life which fills it and of which we are part. We praise you for the vault of heaven and for the winds, pregnant with blessings, for the clouds which navigate and for the constellations, there so high. We praise you for the oceans and for the fresh streams, for the endless mountains, the trees, the grass under our feet. We praise you for our senses, to be able to see the moving splendor, to hear the songs of lovers, to smell the beautiful fragrance of the spring flowers. Give us, we pray you, a heart that is open to all this joy and all this beauty, and free our souls of the blindness that comes from preoccupation with the things of life and of the shadows of passions, to the point that we no longer see nor hear, not even when the bush at the roadside is afire with the glory of God. Give us a broader sense of communion with all living things, our sisters, to whom you gave this world as a home along with us. We remember with shame that in the past we took advantage of our greater power and used it with unlimited cruelty, so much so that the voice of the earth, which should have arisen to you as a song, was turned into a moan of suffering. May we learn that living things do not live just for us, that they live for themselves and for you, and that they love the sweetness of life as much as we do, and serve you in their place better than we do in ours. 
when our end arrives and we can no longer make use of this world, and when we have to give way to others, may we leave nothing destroyed by our ambition or deformed by our ignorance, but may we pass along our common heritage more beautiful and more sweet, without having removed from it any of its fertility and joy. And so may our bodies return in peace to the womb of the great mother who, who nourished us, and our spirits enjoy perfect life in you. And now with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that following the service today, some of us will be going apple picking. We still have room on the bus, so if you'd like to join us, the cost is $15 to cover the cost of transportation and you get a bag of apples. Uh, please join us on the plaza following the service. We note also that uh, children of the chapel are invited to join Jamie Dingus, one of our Marsh Associates for children's programming downstairs. Uh, they may exit with her during the final hymn. Abolitionist Chapel will be meeting uh, at 12.30 this afternoon and should look for Reverend Victoria Gaskell, our chapel associate for Methodist ministry, in the narthex after the service. Here for a special uh, word about the Bach experience and our Bach cantata next Sunday, our director of music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Good morning. For those of you here in the nave with us this morning, I call your attention to the very beautifully written note in the bulletin inviting you to participate uh, and next week's Bach experience, for those of you listening by radio, I invite you to come in presence next Sunday for the opening of our annual Bach experience series, starting with Cantata 190, Sing to the Lord a New Song. 
At 9.45 here in the nave, we'll look at the music together, examine the theology that Bach is looking at and how he treats it musically uh, before it's presented uh, in performance as part of the liturgy of the 11 o'clock service. We invite you to come. Bach wrote the piece for New Year, so January, but it's very appropriate in message and theme and otherwise as we celebrate and welcome new students and a new academic year. Next week, 9.45 and 11 a.m. Thank you, Scott. We note there is a full offering of services activity and activities uh, to be found in your bulletin and also on the Marsh Chapel website. As we prepare to receive the morning offering, we especially encourage our radio and internet listeners to visit the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, click on the giving link, and make a generous contribution. Your tithes and generous gifts will strengthen our Marsh Chapel ministry, a heart in the heart of the city, and a service in the service of the city. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Oh, my Jesus. 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 Oh, my Jesus.
work before us, to the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us. We give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen. sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night the star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever.